So Jordan, in my practice, I rarely use interferon to treat hepatitis B, yet it does have a place in our toolbox. So maybe we could talk about, I'd like to know how you use interferon or pegate interferon in your practice, and where do you think that will be in the future? Will it be part of future curative regimens? It's a good question, Mark, and I'll be honest, I don't use a ton of interferon, but I, I do think about interferon, and there's some specific circumstances where I think about it. It's primarily in people where long-term therapy is problematic for many reasons. Sometimes this is in young people that just say, I don't want to be taking treatment for a really long time, or sometimes people thinking about family planning, more commonly women, but occasionally men that are concerned about taking anything in pregnancy, even with the pretty good safety profile of the nucleoside analogs, particularly tenofovir-based therapy in pregnancy. But that's the setting where I'm going to think about it. And then sometimes I try to nuance that a little bit, where I'm going to be more interested in using interferon is in people with e-antigen-positive active hepatitis. And then I really actually try to get the genotype if possible. It's not widely available, but we know that the response in people with genotype A infection is much better than, in, than with the other genotypes. And then in people with um, other favorable characteristics for response. So if they tend to have a high ALT and a bit of a lower HPV DNA, these are people where I think they're more likely to respond to interferon. And I'm going to talk to them a little bit more about the benefit of having finite therapy, a little higher chance of S loss, but I'll be honest, most people when they look on the web and see the risk of side effects with interferon are not signing up for it. So the reality is I still don't use it a ton. But I am kind of optimistic that it's going to make a bit of a comeback in our cure regimens. Um, as you know, there's a lot of interest in looking at immunomodulatory therapy, and although there are a lot of new immune targeting therapies in development, the nice thing about interferon is we have a long history with it. So we know the pros and cons, and there certainly are some cons, but there are some pretty good pros. We know the safety profile, and especially if it's used for a shorter time, three or maybe up to six months, the tolerability is not too bad. So far, it's been tried with a few different things. We've seen it combined with siRNA, and we're starting to see it be combined with other uh, regimens in the cure strategies. And although so far the results have been a bit underwhelming, I would say we'll see more of interferon in the next little while as it's combined as sort of the immunomodulator we know uh, with the newer um, uh, agents that are being evaluated and it well may have a place as a defined short part of a cure regimen. Yeah, you brought up a really uh, a couple of really interesting points and one is that the FDA approved or typical regimen is 48 weeks, which is a long time. I've, I've always thought that interferon, like running a marathon, it's, you know, people don't sprint over the finish line, it kind of wears them down. So if we could get to that three or six months, it, it is definitely more tolerable. And, and let me see what you respond to this statement. So I used it, I've had some people who have said to me, I really want to achieve a cure. Now, they need a functional cure where they lose S-antigen, gain S-antibody, no DNA. And at least my interpretation of the data is that the best probability of that is going to be combined and to and interferon. And so we've talked about that. And like you, I've used the genotype to kind of prognosticate. But if I found a person with A and they were one of these people that wanted their best odds, we've set off on that. So is it a true statement that the best probability of functional cure is probably using combo, peg, nuke? 
I think that's a true statement today. I mean, there's no question that when we use nukes, uh, although they're very effective at suppressing HPV DNA, normalizing ALT, preventing progression of fibrosis, and even leading to regression of fibrosis, they rarely lead to S loss. Um, whereas with interferon and when it's combined with a potent nuke, particularly with tenofovir and tecovir, we are seeing that after a year of therapy, you do get higher S-loss rates, but I think it's important to recognize and important to be honest with patients that we're not talking the kind of uh, cure rates that we'd like to see. We're still only talking in probably the 10 to 15% range if you select your patients well and choose genotype A with a lowish HPV DNA and a high ALT and without cirrhosis and E-positive patients, you can start to get that into higher numbers. Um, but it's still probably going to be the minority. So I think it's, and, and it's important for people to understand that and sort of go in eyes wide open. I think the other barrier we run into in the, the HPV field is a, is a little bit of a hangover from the hepatitis C interferon days where even if patients are willing to take interferon, many providers are pretty reluctant to pull the trigger on prescribing interferon, whereas at least my experience and some literature would support that patients with hepatitis B seem to tolerate interferon a little bit better uh, than patients with hepatitis C, and why that is, is isn't so clear, but it may justify continuing to think about it as part of cure regimens in the future. Well, great. So I, I, to summarize our talk on interferon, it definitely has a role, and we'll see how it plays out but certainly not the first thing we reach for in most patients. So, and also perhaps the, the one place where a peptase B genotype is particularly useful given the predilection for genotype A to respond. Absolutely.